Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica, and as always, I am joined by my favorite ghoul friend, Tara. Hey, spooksters. And today we are doing part two to the Princess Diana series that we have going on. It's going to be a three-parter. So here is part two. So where we left off in the last episode is basically Diana has become a mother. She has both Harry and William and life isn't the greatest because she's dealing with her bulimia and Charles is a poo-poo head sometimes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Or like all the time. <laughs> in 1986, though it is the most magical year in the universe because it's the year I was born, um, it was not a good year for Princess Diana as this is the year, just two years after the most romantic part of her and Charles' relationship. Charles begins to have an affair with that, that bitch Camilla. Fucking Camilla. And I want to put in there that Camilla is married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At this point to Andrew Parker Bowles. But they were just like, we're friends, but like, wink, wink. We spend every Sunday night together. I'm sorry. It's just like, I get that like people have different aesthetics when they look at people. Like some people, you know, look at Brad Pitt and they're like, he's not as attractive as, say, George Clooney, you know? But if you're comparing Diana to Camilla, I'm just like, their relationship had to be really strong. <laughs> there had to be more to it. And I just want to let you guys know that it was reported that Andrew, Camilla's husband, did know and did very little to stop it. Like, he he didn't care. I honestly think that it was a smart marriage on his part because he was marrying a Protestant in England, which meant that's more because he was Catholic, which means he was having more favor from the queen because he wasn't part of her church. And the fact that, like, the families were so close, like, Prince Charles is their son Tom's godfather. So if I was in England or part of the United Kingdom, I would want to be as close to the royal family as possible and have favor with them because I feel like that's where trickle down economics happens. (laughs) (laughs) Not in the United States, in the royal family and the the friendships. Apparently, Andrew didn't care. But I just want to also say that Camilla was not Charles's only indiscretion. He was rumored to have a few because if you are the prince you know, the successor to the throne, I am sure. So let's just run down some 
of his. I think this article has six. So this is a town and country article and it's six rumored Prince Charles affairs and flings. Oh, all right. <laughs> the first one is a American beloved woman. It's Miss Barbara Streisand. What? Okay. Mm -hmm. Hmm. It was sad that they had an affair during... Their marriage. Obviously, Camilla is in this list, guys. Dale Conga Tyron? I don't know who that is, but according to this article, she's of nobility, so she's like a lady. And she used her position with Lord Anthony Tyron, who was a close friend of Charles, and they supposedly carried on a long time affair. She's a fashion designer. Okay, okay. Susan George, who's an actress and Arabian horse dealer, also was said to have had a sexual relationship with him while she was married. Well, they were married, mm -hmm. which makes me sad. Yeah. Sabrina Guinness, she has had several affairs with famous people. Mick Jagger, Rod Stewart, David Bowie, and Jack Nicholson. Oh. Those were her previous flings prior to hooking up with Prince Charles. Oh. Okay. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> also may have had a fling with Paul McCartney. Oh, shit. So it's safe to say that she is a title chaser. Mm. And then also there was Lady Jane Wellesley. I hope I'm saying that right. I think she was just part of the, the group that was around him. She is into hunting, though. And it said this is one of like his girlfriends prior to Diana. So I think that's what it was. They had a relationship, but then they, a lot like Camilla, also had a relationship after. Okay. So Camilla, you're not special. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, but we're not that big fans of Camilla on this podcast. Because it's like, no, I'm no. sorry, like, I get it. They had an arranged marriage, but it's not like Princess Di and Charles sat down and had this like, okay, I'm going to have a relationship with this person. You have a relationship with this person and we will publicly have a relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. That's not what happened. No, not at all. But this didn't help her because I could understand the, the pressure of the world looking at you. And then you have a young family. You are basically the future queen of England and your husband is sleeping around behind your back or in front of you. Who knows? But because she had an eating disorder, it amplified everything. So her bulimia got worse. And Diana said that the bulimia was a symptom of what was going on in her marriage, like a secret disease, but was not what was causing her marriage to fall apart. Which later on, the firm or the royal family, but mainly I'm sure the firm, tried to spin saying that the reason that Charles and Diana's marriage was breaking down was because she was bulimic and that put a strain on their marriage. I would think that being the royal family, they'd have the best doctors, the best like healthcare providers who they would pay top fucking dollar to keep secret. So I would think she would get the best help possible if they all knew she had bulimia. Diana also went on to say, I was crying out for help, but was giving the wrong signals and people were using my bulimia as a coat on a hanger. They decided that was the problem. Diana was unstable. And this is from that documentary in her words or in her own words, which is if you haven't watched it yet, I know that the other one just came out. Part one just came out, but you should definitely watch that documentary. It's so good. Yeah, it was. It's one of the really good ones. Even though Charles was having an affair, Diana would make rumors that she was having an affair as well, and including with 
one of her guards or her bodyguards, Barry McCamke. He was her bodyguard in like 1985. And according to a private recording, quote unquote, she referred to her married bodyguard as the greatest love of her life and that she would have been happy or quite happy to give it all up and go off and live with him. Now, I put air quotes around this a lot because it's a private secret recording. Who knows? What did they do? They transferred him. He was no longer her bodyguard. And then several months later, he was killed in a motorcycle accident, mm. which I think is just a little ironic. Yeah. Mm. Sketch. Anyway, back to Camilla, because she's just going to be a theme throughout this. Diana wouldn't take the fact that Charles was cheating on her with Camilla lying down. And in fact, in 1989, at Camilla's birthday party, <gasps> mm, it's going to get interesting. I believe it was like her 40th birthday. Aw, fuck. Let's do it. Let's cause some shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that Prince Charles, like in the documentary, Diana's telling it like, I'm going to this birthday party at like, I think it was called Common Hammond or something. I just laughed. So that the whole drive there, Charles is like, why are you coming? What are you doing? Why are you coming? And she's like, don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's what she said, but that's my interpretation of this situation. And she's just like, I'm going. It's fine. And then when they're at the party, like, I think Camilla probably like Princess Di walking in. <laughs> I just like the the picture I get in my head is like Camilla, like sitting there, like drinking like a martini or something, trying to be fancy because the Prince of England is coming to her birthday party. And then in walks the prince and his wife. And she probably was like, oh, shit. And it was said that Diana was graceful and walked around and was very talkative. But then she lost Prince Charles for a while. So then she goes downstairs and like, I guess their bodyguards and like other people at the party are like, you don't want to go down there. And she was like, yes, I do. (laughs) So she goes down there and she finds Charles and Camilla and I believe her husband. Because, you know, he did. I don't think he cared that she was sleeping with someone. I think they had a conversation and were like, we're married on the outside, but I'm going to fuck the Prince of England. Like, you do you, sir. (laughs) Prince of Wales, he's mine. (laughs) I gave you children, we're fine. (laughs) So basically, Diana goes down there and sits down and just starts chatting. Like, it's no, like, it's just like me and you talking. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, how are you? I'm in this conversation. And Charles is getting really uncomfortable. I'm like, I don't know why I'm acting like I don't know what's going to happen. I know what happened. (laughs) (laughs) It's because it's so good. It is. I'm sorry. (laughs) If you ever thought that Princess Di was like, like, because so many people like she was so weak and she didn't have any fight in her when it came to her marriage. Oh, hell no, she did. She fucking did. She totally did. Diana also said that she was like terrified to confront Camilla, but she was like, I'm going to put on my big girl pants and I'm going to go and I'm going to confront this woman. And so basically the conversation got a little awkward and they were going to go upstairs and she says, oh, I need to talk to Camilla. You guys can go upstairs. And Charles and the other guy just like fucking, I <laughs> I think of it as like the Wiley e. Coyote, like with the Roadrunner, <laughs> yeah. you know how like the Roadrunner, it's like she said that and then all there was there was like a cartoon puff of smoke or like dust. They were gone. And she sat down and she said, she looked her straight in the eye and boldly said, I just like you to know, I know exactly what's going on. And Camilla was like, I don't know. What are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. And she tried to avoid it and was like, whatever, whatever. And Diana said 
but she remembers Camilla saying to her, you could have anyone you want, like whatever you want, all the men in the world. What more could you want? And she looked that bitch in the face and said, I want my husband. Good for her. I mean, I wish I wish this was like the mic drop moment where like she said it. And then Camilla went upstairs and was like, we have to break up. But no, that didn't happen. No, Camilla's too much of a bitch. I know. <laughs> but what I think truly shows the depth of character of Diana, she apologized in the same speech to Camilla because she knows like that her and Charles probably really do love each other that they have an actual connection and that her relationship with Charles is an arranged one and she said I'm really sorry that I'm in the way but I know what's going on and don't treat me like I'm an idiot. I mean, good for her. Good for her. I'm glad she said something. Right. Well, this would only kind of like make things worse for her. Tara's going to talk about her charity work is basically how a little later is how she threw herself into like surviving this time and raising her children. I think that was like the biggest thing for her was like being a really good mom and making sure even though her like, you know, taking her kids to school, even those kind of things like, you know, those little things that we might take for granted, but like a prince of like England's mom doesn't normally just take him to school. (laughs) But then (laughs) we flash forward from 1989 to 1992. And at this time, the royal couple gets basically like their marriage hits I don't want to know if you want to call it a wall or you want to call it like a fucking tidal wave or monsoon or something like that. But basically what ends up happening is Camilla Gate. (laughs) And I'm not making that up. (laughs) Oh, God. That is the actual title that the British tabloids gave it. Oh, shit. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Here's the context of this. This was like before texting, right? Which I'm sure texting now would have made this affair so much easier. Mm, Yeah. But at the time, Camilla and Charles would speak to each other on the phone. And people could tap into phone lines. (laughs) So apparently, this is a recording of... (laughs) This is a recording of a conversation that Charles and Camilla had, and they published the transcript. Oh, shit. In 1992. (laughs) It starts off a little, like, weird. Like, basically, Charles is like, I don't know what the conversation was before, but this was, like, somewhere in it. Charles says he was a bit anxious. Camilla said he was. Charles says he thought he might have gone too far. And I was like, oh, where is this going? Who did what? (laughs) Camilla was like, ah, well. Charles says, anyway, you know that's the sort of thing one has to be aware of and sort of feel one's way along with, if you know what I mean. Camilla goes, mmm, you're awfully good at feeling your way along. Ew. Yeah, it gonna get there, Tara. Oh no, I don't wanna. (laughs) Charles says, oh, stop. Tara, I apologize now. I wish I could provide you with a bar bag. Charles goes, oh, stop. I wanna feel my way along you all over you, up and down and in and out. And Camilla goes, Oh, and Charles goes, particularly in and out. Oh my God. No, stop it. They're having phone sex. Gross. <laughs> and Camilla goes, Oh, that is just what I need at the moment. And Charles goes, <laughs> It is. And then the dumbass guy who's like recording this says, December 18th. <laughs> so you missed part of the conversation. And this is where she goes, I know it would revive me. I can't bear a Sunday night without you. Charles says, Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's going to get a little weirder. 
And Camilla goes, it's like the program start of my week. I can't start my week without you. Charles says, I fill up your tank. No! Camilla, yes, you do. (laughs) And then Charles goes, then you can cope? Camilla says, then I'm all right. Charles, what about me? The trouble is I need you several times a week. (laughs) Mm, So do I. I need you all week, all the time. That's what Camilla just said. Charles, oh God, I'll just live inside your trousers or something. (laughs) It would be much easier. Camilla's laughing. Camilla says, what are you going to turn into? A pair of knickers? And then they both laugh. Dude, dude, let me say something really fast. Mm-hmm. Do you know what this is reminding me of right now? This is reminding me of that part of Step Brothers <laughs> where she talks about rolling him up into a ball and shoving it in her vagina. Oh, well, you were just a little bit ahead of the schedule. <laughs> So they both laugh and Camilla goes, you're, you're going to come back as a pair of knickers. And Charles says, oh, God forbid, a Tampax. Just my luck. Okay, that's really fucking gross. <laughs> I'm just saying. And she says, you're a complete idiot. <laughs> oh, what a wonderful idea. Oh, and he goes, my luck to be chucked down the lavatory and go on and on forever swirling around on the top, never going down. So there's a lot more of this. Oh my god! I'm just gonna put it in the in the sources page, mm-hmm. but I will read the towards the ending. So they're talking about like basically like they're gonna call each other in the morning type thing. Mm-hmm. Camilla says, "Hopefully, talk to you in the morning." Charles says, "Please." Camilla says, "Bye." I do love you. Charles says night. Camilla says night. Charles says night. Camilla says love you forever. Charles says night. <laughs> Goodbye, my darling. Night says Charles. <laughs> Night, night, says Camilla. Charles says night. Bye-bye. Going, gone, going, gone, night. What the f- This is literally, they're like teenagers. Oh, God. But he doesn't say I love you. Mm-hmm. Camilla says, bye, press the button. Going to press the tit. I don't know if this is a typo and it was going to say going to press the, no, it says the, so there's no typo. Okay. Camilla says, all right, darling. I wish you were pressing mine. Charles says, God, I wish I was there. Harder and harder. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, oh, darling. And Charles goes, night. Camilla says, night. Charles says, love you. Camilla yawning says, love you. Press the tit. Adore you. Night, night, night. Camilla blows a kiss. Night. Good night, my darling. Darling, love you. And Charles finally hangs up the phone. Jesus. Oh, my God. That's so much. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sorry, this is like the best part of the Oh no. Thing. What? No, I'm just saying like this the whole part of this this is the best part of the episode. Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna say something else. I was like, oh god. <laughs> well, I just wanna let you know that Princess Diana was not without her like affairs we talked about. Mm-hmm. She had a close friend by the name of James Gilby or Gilbey, who was heir to the Gilbey Jen fortune. And she also got a conversation recorded. However, and it was called Squibbygate. You'll understand. It's a nickname Ew. she calls him. Like, she calls him Squibby. Oh, okay. Which is why it's called Squibbygate. I was like, what? So they're on the phone, mm-hmm. her and James. James starts off the conversation by saying, and so darling, what are the lows today? Diana says, so that was it. I was very bad at lunch. I nearly started blubbering. I felt very sad and empty. And I thought, bloody hell, after all I've done for this fucking family. And I would have been like, can I please actually hear Princess Di say fucking 
<laughs> There's something weird when it's, you know, like a grandmother who doesn't cuss says it or like someone you know and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. Basically, they just kind of have like this normal conversation back and forth where they call each other like sweetie and darling and those type of things. But she does call him Squibby mm-hmm. or Squidge. He calls her that. Okay. No reincarnation into a tampon for him? No reincarnation into a tampon. Okay. He says, do you kiss me, darling? And then makes kissy sounds into the phone. And then she returns the kissy noises, which is adorable. Okay. And he says, I can't tell you what a smile that has put on my face. I can't tell you. I was a sort of a caged rat. And Tony said, you're in a horrible hurry to go. And I said, well, I got things to do when I get there. Oh, I just think it's so cute. They're more adorable. Yeah, I was gonna say this is very night and day. (laughs) Right. There's the part where she goes, they're talking and he's like, oh, darling, that's not fair. You're my number one girl. And then she turns and she's talking to Harry for a minute. And then says, Harry, it might be in the bathroom. I'm like, oh, so she's like talking to another man next to her kid. At least I hope Charles was by himself. Nobody needs to hear that shit. Oh, oh, no. And then they go kind of on to a little more cutesy. And he goes, did you, my darling? You've got them on the brain. Well, actually, I don't think I'm going to be able to for ages. I think you've got bored with the idea, actually. I'm going to. You are. You aren't. It's sort of a hot flash with you, though. Okay, guys. So I found the juicy part for you. Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. So these were transcripts of, like, several tapes. And the problem with it is that they think that the media has edited it mm. so that there may have been more. But this was an excerpt of a tape. And James says, darling, um, it's just, like, just kind of sort of... And Diana goes, playing with yourself? Ew, and he goes, what? what? No, I'm not actually... I said, it's like, just like, that's what Diana said. And then James says, playing with yourself. And Diana says, yes. And then he gets like a little defensive. Oh, homeboy was. And he goes, <laughs> not quite as nice, not quite as nice. No, I haven't played with myself, actually. Not for a full 48 hours. Not for a full 48 hours. Mm, tell me some more. And she replies, I don't know. It's all quiet. Yeah, that's the excerpt from that. Okay. And it's funny because it's labeled as the following are tape excerpts that were edited out due to the reference to masturbation. I was like, so they were somewhere else up in the tapes, but they had like taken them out the media because they didn't want. Where do they think her kids came from? Just like popped out of in like Cabbage Patch? Apparently, apparently. Is she Brittany from Glee? Did a stork just make a nest on her roof? <laughs> So in 1992, in December, after this happened, there was the confirmation that the two were separating. And that was confirmed by the Prime Minister, John Major, not Mayor. I was like, that's not right. John Mayer is a singer, not a Prime Minister. (laughs) But he, he confirmed that the two had formally separated. Now, it was said that Princess Diana and Prince Charles were just going to live their lives separately, but still remain married because this would assure that Charles would one day ascend to the throne because there's this whole thing and we'll get into it in part three when we talk some other stuff about like the succession to the throne and how you cannot be divorced. Mm -hmm. I mean, you couldn't at the time. So the two would separate almost a year and a half later. Yeah, a year and a half later. Charles would actually admit that he was having an affair, which I'm like, dude, in 92, your sex phone tape came out. Right, exactly. Like, we know... (laughs) We know you desire to be her tampon. It's very gross and none of us get it. But like, we already know. And so after a while, 
things kind of cooled down. And like I said, she was doing her charity work. She was, the kids were going back and forth between Charles and Diana. And Diana kind of made a move that a lot of people, it's almost like biting the hand that feeds you type thing. Because in 95, so there's a documentary out there. It'll be in our sources. And it's her butler Paul telling the story of his interaction with Princess Diana from the moment he met her when, you know, she did her test run all the way to basically her death. Yeah. He was with her pretty much most of the time, like 10 years of that, but knew her because he worked for the queen as well. He stated that one day... He was just like doing his thing. And Diana said, go home, giving you the rest of the night off. It's just going to be me here. And the next day when he came into work, like all the living room furniture had been scooted around and no one had thought to put it back, you know, to not raise suspicion. But she had given an interview with a very popular show called Panorama. And this is where she's quoted to say, well, there were three of us in the marriage, so it was a bit crowded. So basically, Diana just lets it all out. She says, Mm -hmm. like, it's Camilla's fault. Charles cheated. Our relationship wasn't that great. And this was kind of like literally the turning point for Queen Elizabeth, because Queen Elizabeth makes all of the decisions. Like, most people think she's just a figurehead. She's not. I actually thought she was until I started researching this. She has a lot of power, especially within the royal family. Like, at this point in time, like, six people had to bless your marriage. Mm -hmm. Since we last recorded, I have a better understanding how Camilla, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to marry her. And the queen was like, no. And Charles was like, I'm going to do it anyway. Like, literally six people were like, you ain't fucking doing shit. Mm -hmm. You need to get it together. And they picked Diana. They were like, her. We want her. We pick her. And so at this point in time, the queen is like, you're getting divorced. That's it. I'm not doing this. Because I could see where the queen was sitting there seeing that it was going to be a he said, she said thing forever. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, where Diana would do an interview and then Charles would do an interview and then they'd go back and forth and then they would be, quote unquote, the laughing stock. So they divorced. Their official divorce was August 16th, 1996. And it was said that Charles said to her, like, because I think he knew that he had fucked up a lot. Mm-hmm. Obviously, at this point, he had been having a 10-year affair with a woman. Right. Oh, my God. If not longer. And he'd had multiple affairs. So he basically said, you can have anything you want. Furniture, houses, whatever. The only thing the two fought over was Paul. <sighs> Which I think Mm -hmm. is super cute. Yeah. The only two things that they fought over was Paul because Charles believed that I was kind of like, excuse me, what? That he belonged to their family. Right. And that Diana was leaving their family and that he would not be going with her. But she reminded him he said anything and that's the thing she wanted. And so she took Paul with her. Which I was like, yes. And I kind of also felt like so relieved because like when you watch the documentary where he tells his story, it's like she has like a dad or a brother or somebody like with her at all times helping her make the decisions. Like my favorite little excerpt is when Charles announces his affair and she's just like heartbroken and devastated because it's got to be the most embarrassing thing. It's not just like, hey, all of my friends, like if this happened to me, it would just be like my circle of friends who would know, right? No, this is the whole fucking world. And like the United Kingdom is so vast that like they're getting all of this news because it's relevant. And Tara talked about her dress in the last one. And she literally put on the revenge outfit, which I forgot what it is. It's like, I know it's a black dress. Yeah, it's like this kind of strap. Well, it's got like 
technically got straps, but it's like off the shoulder. Cap sleeves? Yeah, a little bit. And then there's this choker that's like all pearls and then has that like stone in the middle. And yeah, like the for the event, she was telling... Paul, she's like, I can't do this. I can't go. I cannot face these people. And he's like, no, paraphrasing, obviously. But basically, he's like, no, you're going to look hot and you're going to be the badass bitch you are and you're going to fucking do it and show them I'm still fucking here. And that's what she did. Yeah. He told her, like, you have to go up and shake their hand with, like, a force. Mm -hmm. And you watch the video clip and, like, the first person she meets, it's just, like, her hand is extended and it's, like, I'm here. Mm -hmm. I don't care that he's fucking Camilla. I'm still the princess of Wales. Like, I'm here, bitches. Mm -hmm. Exactly. One of the things that she did get to keep in the divorce is her title. She wouldn't be, like, her royal highness. That part of the title wouldn't be because she would no longer be part of the royal family. But they did let her keep the Princess of Wales title. And she would retain her apartments at the Kensington Palace. Which I think is cute because honestly, she really just wanted more of being like the queen or the princess of said that she was the queen of the people's hearts and that she wanted to remain that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think for her, it's just that like she wanted to like go on and do her charity work because that was what really drove her. And I'm going to hand it off to Tara now because she's going to tell us about this woman's heart and charity and just it's amazing. And I want to say that Tara told me earlier today that she had like a hundred charities that she worked with and Camilla only works with 90. Just saying. Yes. So with Diana's charity work, she honestly paved the way in making changes on how royals who participated in charity work did things. So before her, essentially it was, you know, something they did, but they were very distanced or protected. It would be like ribbon cuttings, you know, things like that. They had to do certain protocols and they were just very kind of withdrawn. Now, like Jessica just mentioned, over the course of her humanitarian work, she was either a patron or the president of over a hundred charities. That's just like so amazing. She pretty much spent like any time that she wasn't with her boys and stuff doing things for other people. And makes you think she did this in a short amount of time. Imagine if she was still alive. Like think of all the work she could have done. It's just it's crazy. And this part of her life is also why we kind of talked about it last episode. I think she was an empath. She spoke to patients. She listened to their stories, showing the true emotion behind their struggles. She would hug them. You know, she said she could tell when they needed it, which was like totally unheard of. Totally unheard of when it came to the royals. Now, as mentioned, her divorce from Prince Charles was August 16th, but she kept going forward with her work like we just talked about, even though by this point, obviously, her royal obligations were done. Now, a chunk of people saw this as like a political move. And no, she was just doing this. And she said in multiple interviews, she wasn't a political figure. You know, she wanted to be seen as like a humanitarian and a humanitarian figure. And because she obviously cared about the people that these causes she was working with, it affected now, she wanted to help them and bring awareness to issues that were important to her, and she just didn't give a damn, honestly, about any of the politics that came with it. She didn't care. And like I said, you know, over 100 charities in one way or another, she was involved with them. But I'm going to just highlight a few because if I went over every single charity, we'd be here forever and uh, we would be <laughs> into the next day. <laughs> Our time. <laughs> so, okay. 
The first one I want to talk about is the work she did for patients with HIV and AIDS and helping educate people to stop believing in the horrible stigma that was around this. So the work she did, just to kind of remind you guys, this was the late 80s into the 90s because like as we know, she passed away in 97. So on April 9th, 1987, London Middlesex Hospital invited her to come to the opening of the Broderip Ward, which was their first ward dedicated for HIV and AIDS-related diseases and patients. And she would be, there's a lot of photos of her during this. She was shaking, you know, different patients' hands. She had no gloves on, which is a huge deal, especially still technically being connected to the royals when this happened, like, you know, it's a thing. And honestly, because of the shitty-ass stigma, because people thought they could catch these diseases by touching a patient with it, which we know is not true. And because of the public shaming around this, even patients in the ward were hesitant to be photographed. And they were only able to get pictures of one man who he was 32 years old. His name was Ivan Cohen. He said, you know, you guys can take my picture, but please take it from behind. So we see like the back of his head and everything. And the rest kind of like, you know, we'd see hands and arms and stuff, but they were like, no. She also visited the AIDS unit at the Harlem Hospital in New York City and gave a very iconic speech during the Children's and AIDS Conference in 1991. HIV does not make people dangerous to know, so you can shake their hands and give them a hug. Heaven knows they need it. What's more, you can share their homes, their workplaces, their playgrounds, and their toys. We all need to be alert to the special needs of those for whom AIDS is the last straw in an already heavy burden of discrimination and misfortune. In New York two years ago, I visited a ward in Harlem for babies with AIDS, whose short lives were already drawing to an end. For our children's sake, we need to seize the opportunity to plan our response and organize our defenses while we still have time. There's also a note of her visiting Canada and Brazil. Like, she went all over the place, all around the world. And in those pictures, and when she was down in Brazil, you know, she's at a facility that there's children patients, and they're just, like, the cutest little kids ever. And she's, like, hugging them, letting them sit on her lap, like, you know, giving them love because that's what they need. And this obviously rocked the boat with the royals, of course. And when she first started embarking in the work with patients affected by HIV and AIDS, she was sent over a memo that said, quote, please wear a hat and gloves in public. You're touching the public and might catch something. And I'm not too sure about you touching those people with HIV and AIDS. Are you sure it's safe? End quote. Obviously, she ignored this. She was like, whatever, fuck off. (laughs) You're ignorant. (laughs) I do want to mention, I also think it's really sweet that Harry has followed in her footsteps with this and another one I'll talk about later. He's actually the co-founder of Sentable, and this is a mental health charity for children and young people affected by AIDS in Botswana in Malawi. And in 2016, he underwent two AIDS tests in front of, like, paparazzi and media and stuff to, like, kind of show that there's no stigma about caring about your health and getting tested. So Mm -hmm. I really like that he's carried her legacy on with this. He also worked with Rihanna in Barbados as well with the normalization of getting tested. And I just 
think that's great. And in terms of his mom, I think he said it best. He said, quote, when that April, she took the hand of a 32-year-old man with HIV in front of the cameras. She knew exactly what she was doing. She was using her position as Princess of Wales, the most famous woman in the world, to challenge everyone to educate themselves, to find their compassion, and to reach out to those who need help instead of pushing them away, end quote. And like, I just, I couldn't agree more. This was so impactful, I think, to so many people. And another one that was very impactful was the landmine ban that she was a part of. This might be burned into your memory if you were old enough to see media stuff during then or have looked into her story. She, for those that don't know, literally walked, her and Paul literally walked across an area with active landmines. They just had their like little visors and the bomb proof vest, which I'm like, I don't know how the fuck that works, but I'm like, okay. And she just did it. You know, she's like, no, I'm going to fucking do this. Like, she pretty much anything like that royals and other people like were afraid to do, she would just do it. She didn't give a shit. If it helped people, she would do it. Right. That was the key. If it could improve the lives of other people, she was going to move the world to do it. Exactly. Exactly. And there's a trip in, I think it was this one. It might be a different one because she went like obviously a few times. But in January of 1997, she went to Angola and Bosnia. And at this point, she, one of the other charities she was working with was Red Cross. But this was like the first time that she met with the team from the Halo Trust who were already working on this fight with landmines. And on her visit, she met with lots of victims, which did include children. And there's one documentary I watched where they were talking about this and there was like a poor little girl who lost her leg because literally her brother kicked his soccer ball or just a regular ball over to like a field area and she went to get it for him and there was active landmines and she fell victim to that because like, yes, in the past there was war, but like there was not anything going on, but they left all these landmines. So, you know, it's just so dangerous. Like it's an innocent little child, you know, it's just heartbreaking. And James Cohen, who's the CEO for Halo Trust, he credits her for the success, and I think plenty of people do, for the Ottawa Mine Ban Treaty, which this actually took place after her death. And the signatures and stuff, all of that, they opened in 1990, in December of 1997, so at the end of the year. And this is an international treaty that was signed by 122 countries. It prohibits the use, stockpiling, production, and transfer of landmines. And the Halo Trust cleared the minefields that Diana did work through. And when they did so, they removed more than 92,000 landmines, 800 minefields, and 162,000 shells, bombs, and missiles in Angola since she's passed. Holy shit. That is so crazy. So crazy. That's insane. And, you know, obviously they're still fighting with this. Again, this is another one that Harry got involved with as well. And like I said, I just, I think it's great that He's been able to do great work like this and also honor his mom at the same time. I just, I love it. Mm -hmm. On top of this, you know, Diana traveled to countries with high leprosy rates to help try to remove the stigma around that. She was part of the leprosy mission and she visited hospitals in India, Nepal, and Zimbabwe. 
And of course, you know, just like with the other charities, she spent times with patients. She would, you know, hug them, shake their hands, things like that. And she's quoted saying, it's always been my concern to touch people with leprosy, trying to show in simple action that they are not reviled, nor are we repulsed, which I think is just, I I just love, I'm just such a fan of her so much. Like, she was just such a good person. I know. I don't think there's another person on the whole planet that everyone just loves. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And this is like, this kind of like jumps to like after her death, but two other things I wanted to mention that were here. They had the Diana Princess of Wales Memorial Fund, and this was like a grant They did this right after she died, and it was for people, you know, with, like, humanitarian work in the UK and overseas. So it started in 1997 after her death, and then it would be active through 2006. And then it kind of transformed into the Diana Award, which launched in 2007 and is through, like, still going today. And this is another type of, you know, like, they have programs and awards and monetary awards and things like that. Uh, it says for on their website, our mission is to foster, develop, and inspire positive change in the lives of young people. We are proud to be the only charity set up in the memory of Diana, Princess of Wales, and her belief in that. It's a big mission, but there's two things within that we focus our charity efforts on, young people and change. So I think that's so great. And that's such, such a nice way to memorialize her, you know, mm-hmm. and just keep that going. So I really liked that. But now we're going to kind of get into relationships and stuff, as Jessica started to mention. So most people are familiar with Princess Diana's relationship with Dodi Fayed since he was with her the night of the crash. And we'll obviously get into that in a moment. But we need to talk about Haznat Khan first because I didn't really know about him. But then again, I've never really heavily researched this until we decided to do this. But it'll make sense. So he was a cardiac heart surgeon, and they actually met at the Royal Brompton Hospital. She was visiting one of her friends whose husband was there. He was, like, having a heart procedure done. So, like, makes sense that, you know, same area. And they met September 1st, 1995. And obviously, at this point, she was already separated from Prince Charles. And it was said that she had an immediate attraction to him. And she started visiting the hospital on, like, a daily basis to, like, run into him and things like that. And a few weeks later, you know, things came up about them going on a date. And according to him, it was kind of like he just wanted to ask her, but he wasn't sure if she was going to say yes. And obviously she was like, um, duh, let's fucking do it. So they did. And their relationship would grow. And for the next two years, they were together. It was very hush hush. And Paul talks about this relationship in that documentary Jessica mentioned. And uh, there's parts that made both of us cry. We'll talk about that next episode, though. <laughs> and Paul said that they were so that Diana had found what she had been searching for her whole life was just, you know, someone who would truly love her back. And like I said, they kept everything on the down low because she was technically still married but separated at this point. And people found out about this relationship later on, of course. But with that said, Hosnats remained a private person all of these years later. He said he's been approached by multiple publishers and literally offered millions of dollars to know the tea about the relationship between him and Diana. And he's just like, nope. So I'm like, well, good for him because there's other people who was obviously like, you want to know stuff? Put my hand out for money. Okay, let's go. So, you know, good on him for that, I think. 
And what's interesting is when asked about their split because they did break up in July of 97, he said, quote, I'm sorry, but that's something I cannot talk about, end quote. So reality is like we won't really know the real reason. There's some articles that say sources, quote, quote, said that like his workload because he was a cardiac surgeon, he worked like crazy hours. So it was like Diana wanted a serious commitment and wanted more time with him. And it was just like this conflict. And then according to his family, which I'll explain after. They tried to say that he broke up with her because of their cultural differences because he was Muslim. He didn't think they would ever be able to get married. Now, his dad, Abdul Rashid Khan, said that Hazan said, quote, if I married her, our marriage would not last more than for a year. We are culturally so different from each other. She is from Venus and I am from Mars. If it ever happened, it would be like a marriage from two different planets, end quote. But like his family apparently didn't approve of them getting married. They're like, if you're going to date and hang out, whatever. But apparently they did not want them to get married. So it's kind of like, take it for what it is, I guess, with the dad saying that, you know, it is what it is. Because obviously, like, the only people who really know is him, Diana, and probably Paul, because, like, Paul knew everything. But, you know, Paul, if you guys watch this documentary, it'll be on the sources page. Like, you can just see how much love and respect he has for her. So, like, he's never going to tell personal, personal stuff like that about her. He's not. And what's heartbreaking is has not actually reached out to Diana the day before she died because he wanted to get back together with her. And I'll get more into that later. So they broke up in July. So the following month, she went on vacation with William and Harry to the south of France. Dodie Fayed's family estate, compound, what have you, and yacht. Now, it was actually his dad that had invited him. And after like a couple days, he called Dodie up and was like, hey, come down here. So he did. And that's how they met. And this relationship, the short relationship, was highly captured by the media. So a couple weeks later, she came back with him and it was just the two of them. Now, according to Paul, Diana had kind of put this out there to see how uh, her ex would react to it and all of that. And he said that Diana had called him and asked if like they had spoken or anything. He's like, yeah, I actually just went to drinks with him. And he was like, obviously, he was upset about all this because like y'all dated for two years and then what not even like a month later you're you got some new dude and it's all over the fucking papers and everything because she everything in her life was highly publicized and then he paul talks about their conversations more and she's like i'm just really bored you know blah 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 like he's like i know it wasn't going to really be anything serious like if she had lived he's like i don't see it being anything serious like this was kind of a make has not jealous type of thing you know you know Cause so I'm like, mm, oh, let's let's do some petty shit, Diana. Okay, but it makes me. I don't know. I just think it's kind of funny, to be honest with you. I don't know why. I just think it's funny because <laughs> it seems like such a normal thing. Like yeah, a girl going out with another boy to make the original boy jealous. Mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. But yeah, so they are on their trip and whatnot, and this is actually where we're gonna stop this timeline for now because when we pick up in part three it will be them leaving from their trip so i'll let you close us out okay well thank you for listening to this episode we really hope you enjoyed it i've really enjoyed learning more about princess diana and her fabulous life even though it was cut very short i'm glad i'm learning about it and all the wonderful things she did so we will see you back here on monday for another episode bye guys bye bye